You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy, and in today's episode, I'm talking to all of the parents who are worried when it comes to the coronavirus. In this episode, I'm sharing my conversation with Dr. Kelly Fraden. You may know her from Instagram as at advice I give my friends, and she is the author of the book, Parenting in a Pandemic. She's a pediatrician, mom to two, based in New York City, and she's a graduate of Harvard College and Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons. She's focused her work primarily on caring for children with special health care needs, as well as school health. Oh my gosh, I am so glad you're tuning into this episode. I needed this episode. I needed her book. I devoured her book faster than I've read any other book this year. She has a way of really demystifying some of the things that we might worry about most when it comes to COVID. In this episode, not only does Dr. Freyden offer facts that you may want to know as a parent when it comes to the coronavirus, but we also talk about the upcoming holidays, what it means if you're a new mom and you have a newborn, but we also talk about the social emotional impact that parents and their children are experiencing this year during this pandemic. I'm so thrilled to be sharing Dr. Frayden's wisdom with all of you. I can't wait for you to dive in. So let's get to the conversation. listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, mom to three, and I support mamas just like you who want a supported, loving, and rested postpartum so that you can flourish in that first year with baby. In this podcast, I'm sharing my conversations with perinatal experts from around the world and with parents who've been through it. While I hope that this podcast is supportive to you, it is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed health provider. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hello, Dr. Kelly Fraden. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today about parenting in a pandemic. 
I read your book faster than I've read any books recently, just because this topic is so um, relevant right now. And for me, having a newborn and two kids going back to school, I just really, I really needed the book and you wrote it. So I'm so grateful for that and to have you on the podcast today to talk more deeply about this, this subject. Thank you so much for taking the time. Gosh, thanks so much for having me and thanks for your kind words. You know, as a mother of two of my own kids, finding the time to write um, the book during this pandemic was, uh, you know, challenging for me and my family. And I did it, you know, because I really hoped that I would reach people and help them. So I'm so glad to hear that it was helpful for you uh, to have. Oh, it really was. And so I um, I also posed a question on Instagram to all the parents, like, what questions would you have for a pediatrician on parenting in a pandemic? And I only asked this question an hour ago, and so many questions came through, and there's, there's a couple of themes in there um, that I definitely want us to touch on. But first, I wanted to share, I haven't actually shared this um, publicly because I wanted to wait till I got my daughter's permission to share, um, which she gave me permission today. But a couple weeks ago, she actually tested positive for COVID. It ended up being a false positive, but for the 48 hours um, before we found out, because she had the rapid test first um, to go back to school, because all students had to be tested, and then it came back positive. And then she did the PCR test, which we had to wait a couple days to find out the results from, and that came back negative. Um, But those 48 plus hours where we thought we had been exposed, were very stressful and really shed a light for me on some of the some of the things about COVID that I hadn't even considered before we thought that it had really touched our family in that way. Um, and so I'll, I'll want to touch on some of those things in a bit, but this is very relevant <laughs> for, for us. It's been really on our mind, um, obviously for all families, but we, we really thought that we were about to kind of live through it in a, in a much more um, personal way. And it really did hit us um, pretty hard and just like more emotionally in the stressors of it. So I'm really excited to talk about all these things with you today. But before we jump into all that, can you share a little bit about your background and context and kind of what drove you to do the work you do and then to write this book? Sure. So, um, you know, I'm a pediatrician and a part of what led me to pursue pediatrics was that I, I had cancer when I was a child and grew up with a lot of doctors who served as role models for the impact that a physician can have, you know, the, the good that they can do. So uh, I did, you know, my college at Harvard and my medical school at Columbia, and I stayed on in New York City because my husband's career is in finance. So I worked mostly in the Bronx at the Children's Hospital at Montefiore doing complex care pediatrics and, you know, teaching and doing research. And then because I was so busy with my kids, I transitioned to a more manageable job in school health. Um, And with that schedule, I got um, to pick my kids up from school in the afternoon and to have the summers off, which was great. Oh, yeah. And then um, obviously the pandemic sort of changed everything for um, school health, at least temporarily. So right now I'm not working. I'm just focusing on, you know, writing the book and and handling my family's increased needs during this time. Oh gosh, yeah. And and then you decided to 
to write this book, which has been, is so, so important right now. Um, and can you talk to us a little bit about like the process of, of kind of diving in to do the work and to writing this book? Because you really cover a lot of topics. It's not just sort of what we know about coronavirus, but you also dive into questions like, you know, how is this impacting, you know, the social emotional health of of our children and going back to school and um, wearing masks and how to help your kids wear a mask, right? So what was the process like for you and just kind of diving in to write this book? You know, so my Instagram account, I started it because my friends uh, ask me questions all the time about, you know, they want the real deal from a, a pediatrician who's a mom about, about topics that they maybe don't have the time to discuss with their doctor in the visit or, you know, they just want the the, the inside scoop. So during the pandemic, you know, my account grew a lot because there were so many families looking for how to interpret the news and apply it to their daily life. So it's not entirely, you know, medical, but it's how to interpret the facts about the situation into something that affects your behavior and the choices that you're making. So I felt, you know, I was getting all these questions from all these people, just like you uh, got from your question box, this genuine need. And I had been addressing those in Instagram posts and like little bits and pieces. And I went in July to write a newsletter and I put all the posts I had done about coronavirus together and it was 50 pages. And I kind of looked at my husband and I was like, wow, I've already compiled like all this content on these topics. Maybe I should do something with it to try to, you know, reach a broader audience and help people. And he was like, why not? If anybody's going to do it, you should do it. It just kind of felt meant to be because of my background, you know, that I had um, sort of the skills and statistics and research and, and the context of working in school health and with some of the sickest kids. And, you know, my undergrad research was on in psychology and like our physiologic responses to stress. So it, it just sort of felt like I was the right person at the right time to do it. And uh, it became a real passion project. Yeah. When you kind of share some of your background in the beginning of the book, once I like, I was like sold, I'm like, oh yeah, this is the person I want to be listening to when it comes to not just this virus, but the impact that it's going to have on our children, the impact on their social emotional health, um, but also what it means, you know, in terms of our, our health in general. And so I was, I was like, all right, <laughs> I'm ready to dive in now that I know your background. So I wanted to kind of give you a chance to share a little bit about that because sure. it really does make sense that you would write this book. So let's talk a little bit about COVID. Because one thing I was surprised um, when when I read your book is that we actually know quite a bit about coronavirus. Um, obviously, COVID-19, you know, we're, we're learning, we're always learning new things about, about this one. But what do we know about this disease when it comes to our children? You know, that's a great question because the primary source of information for most people is, you know, the news and the news has sort of an incentive to package things as breaking news and new developments. Whereas uh, in a lot of situations, we, we are gaining new information every day, but it's not necessarily new information that changes what we already know. And as early as May, we had studies on, you know, tens of thousands of people who had had and recovered from this illness. So, so we do know a lot about, you know, what the symptoms are and how to look for it. The, there are things that we don't know yet and that we still have to, to 
keep our eyes out for in terms of, you know, what's it going to be like for people a year after they were sick? I know there's been a lot of attention paid to some of the long haulers. And I think it's important that we keep an open mind, um, mind for what those people are experiencing and respect for what they're experiencing because we want to want to have treatment plans for them. But we also right. want to keep in mind that, that it, it seems by and large, for the most part, children have done exceedingly well with, with coronavirus. They yeah. can get it, they can spread it, but most of them will have mild symptoms and bounce back quickly. And even the ones who are hospitalized, the average, you know, hospital stay is mostly like two days. So, so we can be reassured as parents that it's not, it's not the scariest virus in the world when it comes to our children. I think living through this time and how much we've changed our behavior and our whole society, um, sometimes it's easy to develop more and more fear towards the virus. But we have to remember that the primary reason that we're responding so dramatically is not necessarily the individual risk, but the community risk, you know, that right. we we have to help our communities to prevent the spread so it doesn't get to those more vulnerable people in our community and so that it doesn't overwhelm our hospital s- systems. But at the individual level, if you're getting it, you know, it's going to it's gonna probably be just fine. You're probably going to make it through okay. If you're a child or a young, an adult um, under the age of 65, that is, you know, it does affect the grandparent generation a little bit, you know, more significantly. So we just need to keep in mind our individual risk factors for having a severe yeah. course. I mean, so when my daughter tested positive, um, you're, because I, you know, I am a parent, like I had done a little bit of my own research on the impact on children. And I had talked to our pediatrician about it. Um, I I learned a lot more when I read your book. Um, But when she tested positive, like I was, I was worried about her. I was worried about us as my my, my partner and I, my husband has asthma. So I was worried about him. Um, I was definitely worried about the newborn just because even though I had, I'd love for you to speak more to this if there's more that you can kind of add to this, but I had heard that newborns are actually doing okay when they are exposed to the virus. Um, And so I, but but still, it's still a newborn. So I was still, they just feel more fragile. And so I was, I was scared for our baby. Um, But I was most scared because I was looking at, okay, if we are positive and we didn't know we were positive, like what have we done over the past few days where we could have exposed anybody else? And we are pretty much homebound, especially because we have a baby. Um, But because the kids were going back to school, which is why she was tested, and once they go back to school, we were going to not see my grandparents as much because of the increased risk potentially for them. Um, And so because of that, my grandmother had held our baby with a mask on outside, but she had held our baby like two days before my daughter tested positive. And I was really scared that through our newborn that we had potentially exposed my grandparents. And so there was a lot of, that was where a lot of the fear kind of came from for us for those two days where we weren't sure or where we thought that we had been exposed um, to the virus. And so I'd love to hear from you. For people who have a lot of listeners are new parents and they have newborns. What are the risks for newborns? And also, if they want 
you know, family to come and see the baby, what are some of the precautions that we should be taking right now? It's a great question. And I think it's important to put it in context because as a pediatrician, you know, we, we have a healthy respect for newborns because they are, as you said, little and they, they don't always show uh, signs of being sick like older kids do. It can be more subtle when they're sick. Mm-hmm. And we, we do treat every fever as an emergency in a newborn because, um, it, you know, the brain and blood barrier is less developed. So we do see regular viruses like enterovirus, which is a common cause of cold, can cause like a meningitis in a newborn baby. So we do always, even before the pandemic, recommend those first two months taking increased precautions to protect your baby. And, um, you know, hand hygiene, not being around sick people, not passing the baby around at group events or, or spending a lot of time in, in crowded indoor scenarios. Um, so, so I think it's with that context, within that context of like, we have a healthy respect for protecting our newborns. Coronavirus doesn't change much because when you compare how, how babies with the flu or babies with RSV, um, which is another really common uh, respiratory syncytial virus, very common cause of hospitalization for viruses in cold and flu season. Um, the the coronavirus-associated newborn risk is right in line with those other illnesses. So the same precautions we normally take to protect our newborns should protect them also for from coronavirus. But as you said, we have to, um, especially with the holidays approaching, yeah. we have to think about how we how we plan our family time and travel and all sorts of things like that. And I, I, you know, I talk about that a fair amount in the book because I think it's important that we think not just about the risks, but also about the benefits, Mm -hmm. you know, there are risks to exposure, obviously, and they're important to consider, but there are also benefits to being with loved ones, particularly during such a stressful time. And there's, there's you know, benefits to having help if you need help with your baby, um, to have, you know, to expand your bubble to allow caregivers. So I think that we have to consider every family's individual circumstances and think about the risks and the benefits as we make these recommendations. I do think uh, traveling by airplane with a baby under two months, we should really um, only do if we have to, I think it's probably best to avoid airplanes and airports and crowded places like indoor church services and indoor gatherings of more than, you know, 10 people or so. I think those are sort of common sense precautions I would take to protect the baby. I think, uh, you know, with my own baby during cold and flu season, I had two winter babies and I did choose to bring my 10 day old to Thanksgiving to Thanksgiving. And, and I think it's important to remember, it's not all black and white, you know, it's not all like either we're totally isolated or we're out and about. There's a lot of ways that you can mitigate the risk in, in between those two extremes, you know? Hello, Dr. Cassidy popping in here to share a quick word about this podcast episode's sponsor, Stork, S-T-O-R-Q. 
Now, I've talked about Stork in the past, and I wanted to share today about a recent experience. I was hanging out at home with the baby, wearing my Stork nursing bra and my Stork nursing tank and some of their lounge pants, and then I realized it was time to go pick up the kids. I had lost track of time. I had no time to change, but it was okay. I jumped in the car, just threw on some flip-flops, threw on, actually, Stork has a little robe that goes with their sort of loungewear, um, but it looks almost like a cardigan. And so I jumped into the car, went and picked up the kids. They wanted to get frozen yogurt afterwards. We threw on our masks, we went um, and got some frozen yogurt, and I felt comfortable the whole time. The baby got hungry while we were out and about. I was able to easily feed her um, and nurse her out there in public, and I was comfortable, easy access to baby's food. It was a very very easy experience and a lot of that is in thanks to how comfortable I felt in Stork's loungewear which transitions easily from home to out of the home. This way you can just keep living your life. All right, if you are interested in learning more about Stork, you can head to the show notes and you can get 10% off your first order with the code holding space and that's s t o r q.com. If the baby's at Thanksgiving dinner, but kind of only in mom's arms and everybody else is giving you at least a few feet of space, that's going to be less risky than if everybody's taking turns unmasked holding the baby. So, yeah. so I think, I think there's that to consider. It's a lot. Um, well, but there's so I think much it's to a- consider. Yeah. Yeah. What about the risk for what? What is the risk factors for a baby? You know, if if a, if you do, for instance, you know, with the holidays coming up, you know, that was like one of the biggest questions I got, Kelly, from um, followers on Instagram was like, "What about the holidays and grandparents that want to hold the baby?" Um, you know, if 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 a grandparent wants to hold a baby, um, what's the risk factors of that baby actually passing a virus to our older loved ones, the, the more at-risk communities? Well, you know, the, the good thing about the newborns is that they typically have fewer contacts. So yeah. uh, let's say you, you have an older child who's in school the, and they bring home coronavirus they um, may, they, you know, studies have shown that about 20% of their close household contacts would get coronavirus. Yeah. So so even if you're not taking special extra precautions, um, you know, in that scenario, it's not 100% that your newborn would catch it from the sibling. Right. And, and then even if your newborn is in close proximity to the older relative, it's not, it's again going to be like a 20% decrease, you know, like only 20% of sick newborns would potentially pass the virus to somebody holding them. And I think those, that 20% number comes from people who are spending, you know, all day together and living in the same household. So if you're in a scenario where you're talking about grandpa is going to spend an hour holding the baby, that's going to be less than that 20% number. Um, so I, I think, while the odds are low, you know, the the risk is high if grandparents get sick. So there are other things we can do to even further reduce that risk. Like if you know 
if you know, one thing we've been talking a lot about, if we're going to see loved ones over Christmas, should we opt into remote learning for a week or two before the holidays mm. to decrease our exposure? Mm-hmm. Should we consider, um, you know, even if we're not able to do the full two week isolation, if we could do a week and then get tested and then go, that would really, um, decrease yeah. the likelihood that we would be carrying virus to see the older relatives. Yeah, we're actually doing that. So the two weeks before um, before Thanksgiving, we are um, we actually planned a trip. Um, and because there is the remote option for our school, um, and so while we're out on the road um, in an RV doing things as safe as we possibly can um, in terms of being away from big crowds and, and that sort of thing, um, we chose to do that the two weeks before Thanksgiving um, so that we could not be in school for those two weeks. Um, and, you know, the decision to go back to school, just that in and of itself um, was was hard because it does mean that the potential risk for increased exposure, but it also, you know, I, for, for me, it was like I knew that my kids needed to be around friends again. I mean, we were really struggling um, with the Zoom, especially for my kindergartner. And so I'm curious, you know, if we can kind of shift gears a little bit to what are what are you seeing in terms of the impact that all of this has on the social, emotional development um, and just health of, of our children? So I think to... To provide some reassurance, I do think that it's easy for parents to forget how your home everyday interactions with your children really do facilitate their social and emotional development. You know, family dinners or, or playing a board game, these kinds of everyday activities are really rich learning experiences for young kids. Um, so even I mean even older kids you can have some really engaging discussions at home and and you are a great resource. Uh, so I I'm not so worried about the development. I think kids will still gain skills at home. Yeah. What I am more worried about is the mental health impacts on the children because you know as parents we see them play with other children and we see how much joy that brings them and how much energy that brings them. And I think it it it's part of the reason that children are so resilient is their ability to live in the moment and experience play and those robust connections they make with other children. Yeah. So I, I do worry about children being more anxious or children being more likely to get depressed. I think a lot of kids under kindergarten level – you know, their lives are not necessarily as different as we imagine them to be. If they're missing out maybe on a couple hours of preschool, it's probably not going to have as big an impact as we might worry. Um, But it's so it's more the older kids that I'm worried about in terms of their emotional uh, health, because, you know, I, I think that it's a big disruption when kids can't engage with their peers on a regular basis. Yeah.
As a mom to three, my partner and I find that one of the biggest struggles we have faced in our relationship is navigating sharing responsibilities and the mental load. And I know that we're not alone because this shows up with all of my clients and in every podcast episode, the mental load of parenting shows up in some way or another. Enter the scene, coexist. Coexist is the app that's revolutionizing how couples manage the mental load of household tasks and childcare. It's like having a personal assistant right in your pocket, helping you and your partner effortlessly share tasks, plan meals, collaborate on lists, and even give each other kudos along the way. Here's the cherry on top for my amazing community. Coexist is offering an exclusive deal. Sign up for a two week free trial before June 15th, and you'll get 15% off the annual plan on iOS with the code Dr. Cassidy 15. So what are you waiting for? Really take that first step towards a more harmonious home life today. Download coexist on Android or iOS at getcoexist.com. The load in our home has been feeling a little bit lighter since downloading Coexist, and yours can feel lighter too when you download the Coexist app at getcoexist.com. Since becoming a parent and as I've gotten older, I've become a lot more mindful of the supplements and products that I use, and that's why I love Peary. These are natural food supplements that I trust completely. Let's talk a bit about collagen. So collagen is so important for our bodies, but our natural production of it slows as we get older. So I've learned and quality supplements support our muscle, bone, and joint health. Recently, I've been taking Puri's CP1 Pure Collagen Peptides. It was number one out of 28 collagens tested by the Organic Consumers Association and Clean Label Project. There are enough hard decisions that we make every day as parents, and this makes Puri an easy choice. See and feel the difference with Puri. I know you'll love their supplements as much as I do. Puri is offering my listeners an amazing deal, 20% off site-wide. Just go to my special URL, puri.com backslash Dr. Cassidy, and use my promo code Dr. Cassidy. So go to P-U-O-R-I.com slash Dr. Cassidy. Don't miss out. Use promo code Dr. Cassidy at puri.com backslash Dr. Cassidy. Yeah, I definitely feel like I noticed, um, you know, over the past seven months or so that we've been um, pretty hunkered down. And my kids did just recently go back to school um, in person in the, for the past two weeks. But before that, um, I definitely noticed some behavioral changes for my my son, who's a kindergartner. Um, I think that my daughter, she's she's older, she's nine. She's a little bit more savvy with FaceTiming her friends and already had kind of um, established some of those friendships. Um, but it did, it was definitely something that, you know, I think that she, she would talk to me more about in terms of just sort of like the, some anxiousness, some anxiety around just the virus itself. So I'm definitely, I can definitely say that I notice shifts for both of my kids. Hey mamas, Dr. Cassidy here, popping in one last time into the middle of this episode to share about a workshop that's going down this week if you're listening to the episode on the week that it was released. This Thursday, November 5th, I'm hosting a girls' night for the worried mama. This is a workshop that I've teamed up with 
postpartum nurse Carrie Locker to host to support all of you in developing a new kind of relationship with your anxiety. Because let's be honest, this year has been a lot and we could all use a little bit of support when it comes to coping with some of the anxiety that many of us are experiencing this year. I'd love to see you there. If you want to learn more about the workshop for the worried mama, head to the show notes. All right, back to the episode. Um, one thing that I was, what was unexpected that I wanted to, to ask you about when my daughter did test positive, something that I hadn't considered until we were there was that there was this sort of sense of almost like shame that we had, that we had the virus, right? Or that we had been exposed. Like we had done something wrong to get the virus. Um, and I felt that, and, and, I kind of kept that, kept it to myself a little bit until my daughter started to ask me questions like, what did I do wrong to get this virus, Aww. right? Um, and, you know, even asking like, could I, if, if grandma and grandpa or if Nana and Dada get sick, my grandparents, if they get sick, is it my fault, right? And so there was also just this sort of like this shame around the virus that I – hadn't really considered until we thought we were exposed to it. Um, and so, you know, and, and I sat with her and, and we talked about how, you know, you know, Riley, that's my daughter's name. Like, you know, there is nothing that you did right to that, that to, to get, to get this virus. And there, there is nothing in this that would be your fault if somebody else got sick, right? Like this is a very contagious virus that a lot of people, a lot of people have had, and a lot of people are, have had it and they're okay. And so we're going to take it day by day. Um, but I, it was just sort of this like situation that I was like, I know I had, I really was just kind of flying by the seat of my pants of how to talk about it because I myself was feeling some of that shame, like going over the past few days, what did we do? Like, where were we? Where did we make a mistake? You know? Um, and, and, and like the first thing we did was to let anybody that we had been around, which fortunately was a small group of people, to let them know that we had tested positive because that felt like the socially responsible thing to do. But there was shame around it. And and so I'm I'm curious, how how are you suggesting that we talk to our children about the virus, whether they've been whether there's a positive test or not? Because I kind of considered, you know, where where is she getting some of this from? And it's probably either how we've talked about it, right? So kind of how to check ourselves in terms of how we've talked about the virus in our own home, but also what we're being exposed to or are exposing our children to when it comes to the news. So how can we start? How can we talk to our kids about about COVID, about the coronavirus, to to kind of help, kind of mitigate some of these these feelings of fear or shame if if they do test positive? Yes, I I think it's a great question. I I'm I have heard from a lot of people saying similar things that the shame and the guilt are really powerful uh, emotions that people feel when they get sick, and and I think part of the reason why is that we like to feel like we're in control, you know? Okay. So we like to think that, that by our decisions, we can, we can determine our fate, you know, that if we do X, Y, and Z, this will happen. And, and unfortunately that that's not always the case, you know, yeah. uh, like wearing your mask, uh, if it's a cloth mask, it decreases the risk, but it doesn't make it zero. Um, so it, it's true that we, 
um, we aren't in control, in absolute control. But the problem is, how do we, how do we um, address that with our children? Because we do, we want our children to feel safe, and part of feeling safe is to feel that sense of control. So I think that that we have to set that positive tone in our in a positive, constructive tone in our interactions with our children. Like we're doing everything we can. We're going to have our play dates outside when we can. We're going to wash our hands and wear masks. We're not going to eat snacks with our friends because we want to keep our masks on. And we're doing these things to, to do our part to keep our community healthy. And, and that's the best we can do. And, and then, you know, I think when, people get sick, we just have to admit that, I mean, you look at the numbers, I think it's over four, four million children in this country have had coronavirus by now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe haven't tested positive, but that's the estimate for, cause a lot of people obviously don't get tested. Right. And, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's happening. It's out there, it's everywhere. And so we have to like forgive ourselves and, and understand that even if we do everything right, we, it can still happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I think that one of the things that those 48 plus hours of thinking that we, um, have been exposed or that, um, my daughter had the virus, I, I mean, it sent me into my own little fear tailspin. Um, and so I sort of, and then, you know, we found out that it was negative and there was just this like huge sense of relief, but this realization that, you know, up until that point, like I had been, I had a newborn. I was helping my, my nine-year-old is pretty, was pretty independent with her Zoom meetings for school. Cause at that point, um, they start the school started off online and then, um, three weeks in, they started testing the kids and started letting some of the younger kids back on campus. So up until that point, we had been doing all the online distance learning Zoom meetings. I had a newborn. I was helping my kindergartner with his Zoom meetings because he really needed a lot of support during those meetings and to get the schoolwork done. Um, everybody was home. The house was a mess. I was super overstimulated, not getting a break, right? Because we were all home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then, and then she tests positive and it just sent me off the edge a little bit. Like I can I, imagine that's yeah. so stressful. Oh my gosh. And I just realized, wow, I, I need to take care like, in order for me to show up for them. Right. Cause I have my daughter here, you know, having anxiety about this, about how, maybe having the virus and we're about to potentially be even more quarantined. And I'm like, really freaking out about that because I was really looking forward to the kids being in school um, and just starting to be able to kind of like have more time to clean up the house and just kind of breathe again mm-hmm. um, and you know, be with the baby. Oh my gosh. I was like, I, this is a wake up call. I need to start prioritizing my own mental health in all of this. And so do you have any advice or recommendations for parents during this pandemic, as they're parenting during a pandemic, how they can start to take care of themselves so that they can show up, right? Like if you're pouring into your children from an empty vessel, like at some point, <laughs> that's gonna, that's not gonna work anymore, right? And I, I was kind of feeling that. I was finding I was really irritable and short-tempered and not sleeping well, even when the baby was sleeping. And so 
yeah, I just would love to hear any sort of advice you have for parents during this time and kind of taking care of themselves. Absolutely. I think you hit on an important point because because so many parents are facing such critically high levels of anxiety during this time. And it's so stressful to have less resources to meet increased demand. You yeah. know, we have like less support. It is it is like a perfect storm for taxing <laughs> parents. And and so, you know, I think that one of the most important things I've told people is that sometimes we just have to lower our expectations. Yeah. That, you know, sometimes you know, the only way to, to make more time for yourself is to, you know, maybe the meals aren't going to be as elaborate. The house isn't going to be as clean. The, yeah. the, maybe you'll miss a few zoom sessions of virtual school, you know, but, but sometimes that's worth it. If you, if you need to, to take a walk or catch up with a friend or, you know, sleep in, you, you know, I think we have to let things go sometimes to get through stressful times like this. Yeah. I've, I've also encouraged, um, parents to, you know, to think about a lot of parents are scared to get help from others during this time because, you know, getting help is exposure to others. And, and while that's true, I think we really have to balance that with our well-being. So especially, you know, if you have a newborn and you're trying to virtual school and do all this stuff, like sometimes you need help. And I don't think there should be shame or guilt involved in asking for help if you need it. And like if you would have can hire help or get more help from family members or whatever it is, do it. And then there's other like as a doctor, the, the basics for helping with anxiety you know, prioritizing your sleep. We know that people who don't get enough sleep feel more anxious, you know, limiting your caffeine intake. I myself, like, especially when I have a lot to do, I often overdo the coffee and then I get jittery and irritable and anxious. And I'm like, oh yeah, well, that was a no brainer. I shouldn't have had that third cup of coffee today. Mm -hmm. Um, but some of those simple things it's easy to forget about or deprioritize when we're overwhelmed. So I'm so grateful you named some of these things, especially like making the decision to let people come in and and help you. I think that so – I think there's – like we have done that at times and then I don't like tell people that we did that because there's almost, again, shame around that. Like people are going – like, like the fear of judgment, right? Like are people going to judge me that we are increasing our like bubble of people, right? Um, and and so but, – but we needed this, the, the help. Like we were – otherwise we would have been – totally drowning. And so I think I love that you named that here because I think that so many parents and new parents are afraid to get that extra help and I am I am more afraid of what the numbers of postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety are going to be once we get the data on the impact of this pandemic, right? Um, and just depression anxiety in general, but I know that a lot of the listeners are in that sort of postpartum stage of their life. So here, here we have a pediatrician saying like, yes, we want to be um, really intentional in how we bring in support, but that bringing in support and, and getting that help can be hugely protective. Yes. And, and I think also, unfortunately, there are still people out there who, who don't prioritize their mental health, even though I'm sure you and I both think it's so important. Yeah. I think there are also, you know, safety implications and wellness implications to getting help when you need it too. Like we know that 
tired, exhausted parents drop their children more when they fall asleep holding them in the middle of the night. And we know that they might get in more car accidents or they might not talk to their children as much during the day because they're tired and overwhelmed. And then that's less language exposure for the baby. So, so there are, um, there are a multitude of ways in which, you know, if you're, if you're running on an empty tank, that's going to have a negative consequence for your children. Um, and, and I think sometimes we have a very safety focused culture, which is good because safety is important and keeping healthy is important, but we have to balance, um, we have to understand that every family is making their decision uh, in different circumstances. Right. So we can't judge other people who make different choices than we do. You know, if you don't always know everything, maybe that family really needs more help because they're having mental health challenges or maybe, or maybe, um, you know, you have to keep an open mind just because somebody makes a different decision than you doesn't mean it's, it's your decision is wrong. To have that confidence, particularly as a new parent, is hard, but but we're all making decisions in different circumstances. Absolutely. I mean, I I knew that there that we needed help and that I needed to get restorative rest and sleep because there was a night when I when I went to pick up the baby and I was just like my I just felt so weak and I was like I'm not going to drop I like consciously holding her as tight as I can right now because I don't want to drop her, but I am so tired. I feel so depleted and weak. And I am afraid that like if I I'm not holding her as, as, as gripping her like I am that I could drop her. And I told my partner and I was like, we need a, we need a game plan and we need to get some help because I'm feeling really depleted. Um, and one of the ways that, um, him and I in the past with babies and with this one that we both get restorative rest is, um, there will be some nights where we tag team and I like, I go and I'll sleep in another room even cause I almost need to like turn off my senses. Otherwise I'm going to wake up if she wakes up just mm-hmm. to get like a chunk of restorative sleep where I'm not getting up to like replace her pacifier. Right. Or like, um, or to pump, to pump and to have him give her a bottle. Um, or some parents even choose to supplement because that is the right decision for their family that is going to be good for baby, good for them. Um, to get to take care of themselves so that they can show up as as the kind of parent that that their baby and their kids need, right? And so whether that looks like hiring help and yes, taking safety steps, right? To make sure that that person that's coming in your home is also being safe. Um, or, you know, some people choosing to have um, somebody quarantined before they come in as a help or to get tested. Obviously, hand washing, um, potentially mask wearing, um, all of these things to help decrease the risk, but to increase the benefit for your family's whole health, which isn't isn't just the physical health, right? Like, and the mental health and all these other things, like you like you said, have an impact on our physical health, right? Like, if I'm stressed, my immune system is going to be compromised too, and so it all is intertwined and intermingled um, in these ways, and so I, I'm really glad that you're naming some of these things here. Absolutely, and one of the other f- factors is is exercise. You know, I mean, yeah. I I think. But sometimes it's easy to forget how restorative uh, exercise can be. You know, it can decrease your feelings of anxiety 
and it can help you sleep and it can even decrease the likelihood that you get sick. Um, studies have shown that people who exercise regularly get less colds and flus, you know, so, so making time for those things and finding ways to, to maintain your wellness is important too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I would love to, I want to be thoughtful of your time here. Um, and just wanted to, there was a question that somebody, a few people had actually posed about masks themselves. Um, you know, people are concerned that, you know, I'm not gonna be able to get my kid to wear a mask or if they are wearing mask and everyone around them is wearing a mask, is that going to impact their, their development? And, and you had mentioned earlier that you're not as concerned about, about development in these ways. Um, does, does the mask piece come into play at all or bring any concerns to you in terms of development? That's a great question. You know, uh, I have to say that uh, as a mom of a two and a half year old, I was a little bit antsy about the idea of her wearing a mask all day at school because she's in daycare. Um, but she's really done really well with it. Uh, I've been so yeah. pleasantly surprised uh, by how even young kids can get used to it and can, you know, w- um, I I think that when it comes to the development, again, you know, they're not going to be around only masked people 24 hours a day. Right. So so they're still going to be around your family unmasked and they're still going to see people's faces in that regard. And they still also see people's part of people's faces, you know, the eyes and the expression on the rest of the face. You can tell when someone's smiling in a mask. Yes. Uh, so I, I don't think that masks will be too detrimental to young children's development, um, particularly when they have some time, you know, when they can be around people unmasked. And I think that the benefit, so for for example, when my daughter was home with me and I was trying to work from home while watching her, I am just one person. <laughs> I spoke to her less during the day than the amount of language exposure she gets in school. So mm-hmm. now she gets exposed to, you know, eight or 10 people at school and she talks pretty much all day. She's quite chatty. And, um, and so I think the increased language exposure in the school environment outweighs the, the risk of the mask. Um, because I do think that those social experiences in school, uh, provide more stimulation to her. Yeah. So I guess that's a long winded way of saying I, I worry too, but I think it's worth it to make teachers feel safe and comfortable and, and to uh, get her into that classroom environment. Yeah. Yeah. No, both my kids are, both my kids were like self-proclaimed mask haters. Like they were like, I hate wearing a mask. I'm not going to be able to wear it all day. And they they get in the car at pickup and both of them are wearing their mask. And like I will like test it because they won't take their mask off when they get in the car. And like like halfway home, I'll be like, you guys know you're still wearing your masks. And they're like, oh yeah. And they take it off. And they're just – they're – very, very used to it. And when I ask them about it, it's it's no longer a thing. They've gotten very used to it. Um, and yes, the minute we're home, we're unmasked. You know, they're FaceTiming people, family and friends un- unmasked. And so they're getting that exposure. And I was worried about the baby, you know, when she is around other family, they're wearing masks and not getting a chance to see their faces and th- what that means for her development. But then reminding myself that I am home all day with 
her unmasked, like giving her that FaceTime, you know, flirty, flirting with her unmasked, you know, (laughs) and we call it FaceTime flirty time (laughs) where we're just sort of like ooing, cooing at each other. She's getting that from us, from, from my, from her brother and sister, from my partner, um, and, and with other people that we are, that are in our little, you know, bubble, um, that can hold her unmasked. And so, you know, she's getting that and, and just reminding myself that, um, that, th- that the kids are okay when it comes to that. And like, I was really worried about it. And so for anyone listening, who's worried about their kids, not wanting to wear a mask, like, and I understand that some, there are some children who have extra sensitivities. Um, my son actually has, um, sensory processing challenges. And so I was concerned about that for him. And he does chew on his mask a lot, which we're working on. It's part of his sort mm-hmm. of sensory, looking for that sensory input. Um, but, but in terms of just wearing the mask, he's okay and and they're okay. And I think that one thing that we've also done is taken steps to get extra support during this time. So for instance, I knew the sensory stuff was going to potentially come up. And so he's seeing his occupational therapist again right now. Um, and she's been very helpful during this time. Um, you know, my daughter the other day was like, you know, cause she knows I'm a therapist and she's like, do you think that maybe I could talk to somebody about times when I feel like my, um, she's a little perfectionist, like when my perfectionism is getting in the way. And I was like, Hey, that sounds, I love that you asked for that support. Cause, um, let's do that. And so we're looking to That's get amazing. Her. We're looking she sounds to get so her insightful up. about her own emotions already. <laughs> She is. She 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 really is. Um and and I and you know, I'm a therapist, but like I want I I get to just be her parent, you know, and so mm-hmm. she's we're going to seek out that support for her right now too. Um you know, both my partner and I have our own therapist that we talk to. We are like we've got we've got that support team and I just I want to send that message to anyone who's listening that therapists right now are still doing the work and so many therapists are offering teletherapy. I know that speech therapists, occupational therapists are offering telehealth as well if people aren't comfortable going in person yet or if it's not being offered in that in their area or that provider isn't offering in person that telehealth is is a huge option. Um, I was super hesitant myself as a therapist to offer teletherapy, but once I did, I realized, wow, like it's like, it is just like being in person with somebody. It really, truly is for me at least. Um, and so it's hugely beneficial and it's available. And I just hope that anyone who's listening, who's needing that extra support for their emotional and mental health, that they take those steps. Um, Absolutely. And I would say like a big part of a primary care a provider's job is kind of motivating people to seek the help. And and one of the things I always tell my patients is like, I know you're busy, but, and you don't have time to get therapy, but in truth, like you don't have time not to get therapy because like when you prioritize doing the work, like, and it, and it improves your function, like it, it pays off in the long run. And I've had so many people tell me that, you know, maybe they had mild anxiety before the pandemic and this just bumped them into the range of needing professional help. And when they've sought that out, it's been such a good resource. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for backing me up on that. It's so, mm-hmm. it's so important. All right. Dr. Kelly Fraden, where can people find you if they are listening to this and they're like, I need to hear more? Um, I, your Instagram account is such a wealth of knowledge. So where can people find you there? Where can people find the book? 
Yes. Uh, thanks. So, so my Instagram handle is at advice I give my friends. So I'm always posting stuff over there. And, um, I, the book is for sale on Amazon as a paperback and Kindle book and the audio book and, um, and ebook are available in a lot of different like Apple books and all those kinds of places. You can find uh, all the links on my website, advice I give my friends.com. So I'd love it if some of your listeners could reach out. Absolutely. And I will be sure to include all the links to these in the show notes for anybody who's listening and just wants a click away to find Dr. Kelly and to find her resources and to find the book. Dr. Kelly Frieden, thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. I'm so grateful. I learned a lot. I really recommend your book. Like I said, it's the quickest book I've read in a long time. I devoured it. Um, and, and, and like, you know, it's like, okay, a book about coronavirus, why would you devour it? I mean, the way that you wrote it is very, very easy to read. It just, you just get to the facts really quick and share information in such a digestible way. I'm, I'm really grateful to have your book as a resource and to share it with now the listeners. Wow. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for your kind words. I really appreciate it. All right, Kelly, thank you so much for your time today. All right. Stay well. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to hear when new episodes air. Looking for more support? I teamed up with a board-certified OB-GYN to bring you two e-courses for expecting and postpartum parents. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Thank you so much for inviting me into part of your day today. I'm so grateful, and I hope you have a beautiful, wonderful rest of your day.